Economic Update, presented by Global Wealth Club's Stephen Pettith and Edward Black. All right. Good afternoon or evening, everyone. Hope you're going well. Um, not sure what the weather's like over where you are, Stephen, but it's been certainly a change of weather down here in WA, but it was actually hailing earlier today. Oh, hasn't quite got to hail, but oh, it's dark yet, so I can't really see. But um, miserable today. Today has been raining on and off. Actually, it's been raining on and off for the last three or four days, so winter's definitely here. I'm glad I'm not the only one like ever having these issues down here in the weather. I mean, I, I can't complain. I actually like rain, but not when it's to the point of hail. Rain and cold. I do not like. No. Yeah. Well, here we are. I'm in, a, um, I'm in a different background. Sadly, I can't quite compete with you in a different background in another state, but down in another room at my place. Um just yeah the internet got because of the weather it actually got cut out so now the internet really only works at this side of the house you're there ed you keep breaking up man yeah my how's my audio is it all good now yeah it keeps cutting in now yeah well we'll see how it goes um just stop me if it keeps breaking up yeah okay I'll, cool. I'll try going yeah just just because of the um because of the weather the internet actually got affected so we're using a backup at the moment and it's not quite as strong as the normal one i use but hoping for the best here cool all right and and mine's probably a bit weaker here too so well we'll, we'll see how we go and then anyone in the audience will just feel free to let us know if anything's breaking up and we'll try to um keep it as smooth as possible but there might be delays so Anyway, are you ready to get into it, Stephen? Always. All right. Well, awesome. I'm looking forward to this one. As usual, a few points come coming out of the economy. And for those of you that um, attend normally or those of you that are new to it, we'll quickly revisit the structure of what we're going to be going through today. So all of our economy updates have the same flow. The first 30 to 45 minutes is going through the update around Australia and what's happened around the Australian economy. Once we've done that, we then take questions and then go through the global economy for the next 30 to 45 minutes and wrap things up. Because as we know, whatever's happening around the globe is always good to keep an eye on because it also affects stuff in Australia, financial markets and everything else. But the first point we have here for today, Stephen, is once again, interest rates have been increased. The RBA, Reserve Bank of Australia, has delivered another blow to Australians and it announced interest rates will increase again. And pretty much what this new announcement was is that cash rates are going to be interest like lifted by 25 basis points, moving us up to 4.10% cash rate. And it's just keep getting worse because this is actually the 12th time that rates have been increased since only May last year. So since the last year, we've now seen an increase for the 12th time and cash rates is now at its highest as, as it's been for the past 11 years. Can you share more into this new announcement and what it will mean for the everyday Australian and when do you think this will all end? Look, um, oh, man, I, um, you could see Blind Freddie could have told you that this rate was coming. All you had to do was look at what Philip Lowe, uh, the RBA governor, had been saying during estimates hearing and what he's been saying openly at, you know, press conferences and um, at his addresses at the National Press Club and, and, and alike. So the pause 
last month, um, was it last month or the month before? Um, definitely wasn't going to last. Uh, and um, what we're also seeing is 4.1% brings us into the lower end of the average range of Australian interest rates, which is, you know, anywhere between four and six. Uh, our cash rate is between four and six. So we're now coming back into the mean, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not hurting and affecting people out there, especially um, small businesses and, and residential uh, property owners. Uh, for instance, if you had a 750K uh, loan 12 months ago um, and each rate rise over the, that period, it's increased your interest payment only by 23000 a year, right? That is a big chunk of after-tax money you've got to find, right? That's um, uh, – and, and that's going to put more pressure on, on the economy. It's going to put more pressure on uh, people to switch jobs to get better, higher-paying jobs. It's going to put pressure on, um, on employees to seek uh, pay rises, it's going to put pressure on the government then to put um, put uh, wage cases in, and then the pay commission to put it up because they've already they've already raised I think the minimum wage again by another six or seven percent, and um, you know industrial relations stuff that, as we're seeing is all, all coming on, and we've got another point on that in a minute. Um, that it, it, this it's going to have a breaking point in in the economy at some point. We're already seeing now that um, private lending and, and bank lending and all that sort of stuff is pretty much drying up. Um, we're, we're seeing investors sitting on their cash and, and doing nothing with it. Which, mind you, is the wrong thing to do because um, if you sit on it, you're going to get backwards. Um, and because as inflation and we've got tear-away inflation. Inflation's not going away anywhere now. Um, it, it, say, say you got a term deposit at 3%, 4% in the bank, um, inflation's at 7 8%, so you're going backwards by 4%. You need, need a 12% to 13% return to get a 4% ahead uh, of inflation. So the worst thing that you can actually do is be sitting on your cash. One of the best things that you can do is actually be putting your cash to work. Um, and, and getting uh, interest between eight and twelve percent um, in wherever you can, or a return of eight percent. So, cash-producing assets um, um, are probably the best um, way of, of putting your putting your um, your money to work. So, that's that's one thing that that we're seeing out there is everyone that that reads the news goes into you know, hibernation mode, uh, and really that's doing the, the worst thing. If you have a look at some of the big investors of the world, they're all jumping in. They're jumping in boots and all uh, right now. Um, and if you have a look, our cash rate at 4%, historically over over the last 40 years, that's actually still low. Um, as I said, 4 to 6%. So traditionally we're at the higher end here in Australia. Um, but we've got... Uh, basically a whole generation of people that have never seen interest rates above 3% uh, or cash rates ab above 3%. So now they're, you know, 
that they're in a world of hurt because they've never seen this before. And once again, as we all know, most people don't learn from history. They don't they don't understand cycles. They don't understand all that sort of stuff. So you, you've got to be taking into account that um, you have to be doing your numbers um, on getting minimum, I would say, an 8 to 10% return um, just to keep your money moving forward. Um, the... the um, uh, the so in, inflation and, and then the buying power that comes uh, on the other side of that uh, are the two of the biggest eroders um, of, of value. If you have a look at what a dollar was, so an American dollar in 1913, you know, if you took that as parity one for one, uh, in today it only buy it, it buys the equivalent of five cents, right? So, what I mean by that is, say in 1913, a dollar bought you a loaf of bread. with that same dollar um, because of the way that um, the purchasing power of that dollar is eroded. And that's what you're up against now. And, and in all inflation is doing and, and then the, the chasing of interest rates and all that is doing um, is just accelerating uh, the decline of that purchasing power. And we had a couple of questions from Frankie on that topic was, first one is, the higher the interest earned, the higher the risk. Is that correct? Not always. Um, so um, if you looked at it in a bond portfolio, yes, um, they normally say anything um, 15% and higher uh, is um, is what they call junk-rated bonds, uh, and then it goes down. But if you're in a, 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 a high inflationary environment like we are the cost of money is just higher so what you're doing especially in the private lending world and at the moment the private lending world's drying up because pretty much most of the private lenders are getting to the position where they're tapped out um as in they can't they've deployed all their cash and and they're just it's just going through the machine but the cost of money now in the private world is normally anywhere between between two and two and a half times uh, or say two and three times the cash rate, right? So we're not talking bank lending rates here. We're talking private lenders, L lenders that that uh, are your tier two and tier three lenders uh, that basically fuel the economy, um, that make things go around. There, so they so the cost um, of money in the in the market in in, in the actual economy uh, is in that eight, ten, twelve percent range. So that, that's just the cost of money. That's just what it's costing you uh, out there. We, when the cash rate was 2%, well, that cost of money was 6%, for instance, or 5%. Uh, we're, we're now double where that is. And, and you know, the golden rule applies. He who has the gold makes the rules. And, uh, and the, the tier two and tier three money markets uh, are what drives pretty much all the the the, um, uh, the the economy. So if you have a so if you've got a home loan with the likes of Latrobe or you've pretty much got your home loan through Yellow Brick Road or one of those, you're pretty much going to be dealing in the second tier market um, for your funds. And that's why your interest rates there tend to be a little bit higher than banks. Uh, and the terms tend to be a little bit bit tighter um, than banks. So. Yeah. And here's other question was, how safe is peer-to-peer -peer lending, which gives a 6 to 9% return? 
Oh, you just you basically it's a trust thing. So whenever you're working on um, on peer to peer is is distrust, um, and what happens with most people uh, in the markets is the first thing that goes is um, uh, is trust, and normally the first thing that goes is trust with institutions. So. And last question here before we move on to our next point is, can someone invest in the two to three, two to three tier market you were talking about with anything lower than 200K? Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is, um, uh, there is programs out there uh, that will give you access to, um, uh, to those sort of markets with, with looking at, uh, you know, 40, 50K. Yeah, so awesome good points there. But yeah, that's the end of that point. Yeah, it's interesting seeing rates increase. Uh, I just found those statistics quite amusing 12 times in one year. So that's pretty much once a month when you do the numbers. Um, yeah. I don't know how many times you say that in history, but I'm sure when you've seen it in past times, it's probably not a good indication of where the economy is heading. Um. Yeah, it is. Um, I, th- I think the last time we saw something like this um, was 90, probably the mid-90s, mm. um, the recession that we, we had to have. Um, the other problem that's happening now between the government and the Reserve Bank is there is actually a war between Treasury, you know, Chalmers and uh, Albo, um, Anthony Albanese and Philip Lowe and the board of the Reserve Bank. Um, pretty much Chalmers and Albo have been slanging shit uh, at the Reserve Bank, but what they forget is the Reserve Bank has, at the end of the day, the power to fuck up everything that they do. Um, and pretty much the this rate hike um, has pretty much said basically what it says to the market. If you had a look at the market as soon as the rate hike was announced, um, it dropped point. Uh, it dropped uh, 0.5%. Um, the, um, that's the, uh, the all lords. So the, basically the market just went, ah, fuck the government. And pretty much I would say this interest rate rise and the next one, because I, I dare say there's probably another two coming now, are, are, more, um, are more fuck you to the government than they are actually about in, um, uh, tackling inflation. Because the government's budget, as we went through, is highly inflationary. Uh, it's um, the policies are terrible, uh, and pretty much Treasury um, and uh, the the Reserve Bank are now saying, "Well, fuck it. If you're going to fuck the economy, um, we're going to do everything we can to um, to try and force you to change your, your ways." And I can't see anything changing Albo or Chalmers because they don't think they've done anything wrong, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they think that communism and the way that they're going is the right way, right? And, and um, you, everything that they do, everything that comes out of their mouth, everything that they do goes to show you that they are out um, to implement their, their communist ideals. Um, and, and we both know, or we all know, uh, or anyone that's got half a brain knows that that Albo um, is the head of the Communist Party and the, and the Communist faction of the Labor Party. So he, he just goes about it and his Labor 
labor aligned media people um keep it out of the news so but anyone that's done on any bit of digging will soon find out that you know elbows are commie mm. yeah it just sounds like a bit of a cat fight going on but the only difference as aiden says is that the little people in the middle get screwed over between this fight with the reserve bank and government a hundred percent you know and but the little people always get screwed, but then again, the little people fucking voted these guys in. Mm. Right? One, once again, we don't have a politician problem in this country. We've got a fucking voter problem. Yeah, couldn't agree Until more. the voter problem changes, we're just going to get idiot governments and we're going to get idiot politicians. So, and the only people we can vote, you know, pretty much anyone who voted Labor is a problem. Mm. Well, we'll move on to our next point here following on from that is following Mark McGowan's decision to step down as Premier of WA, the state of WA now has announced the launch for an Indigenous environment law that's going to affect all farmers and anyone who wants to do anything on their land. So can you share some insight into what this new law actually is and why do you say it's going to affect landowners from working on their land? Now, um, oh, man, at first I didn't really grasp what this was going to do. I thought this was going to be like another, you know, native rivers type thing that they've got here in Queensland and uh, and New South Wales um, have got one. But I had it then sent to me by about four different farming people that I know or landowners that I know in WA and they all basically said, read the fine print. So I went and started digging and having a look, and then all of a sudden it started getting traction in the the, the, the non-MSN, non-mainstream media um, sites, and, and Sky News had a big thing on it the other day. Pretty much to touch anything on your land, including planting, because pretty much, so what the so if you dig any more than about fifty mil under the surface, you need a permit. So that means anyone who ploughs or um, does planting or you know wants to put a tree in, right? You're going to have to have a um, divert a water course, um, do um, even do any building, you're going to have not only now do you have to have the building permit, but you're going to have to have this this Indigenous environment um, uh, law satisfied. So there's another investigative report and another thing that you're going to have to do. Um, you've got all these bits and pieces um, uh, that... Um, that are normal life on the land or not, even in your own backyard. You know, how many times do you go, do you go and put a pergola up or something and you dig more than 50 mil into the, into the server or put a kid's swing set up? So um, it's going to be really restrictive and pretty much it, it'll destroy most, most um, day-to-day operations that happen farm, you know, men- mending fences, putting grids in, Digging drainage, drainage, Danish, Danish ditches, um, drainage ditches, uh, anything like that. Uh, removing a dead tree, 
you, you're gonna. It's just more and more. I, I don't know what tape you call this. Do you call it black tape? Um, you know, black with a green stripe. And we've got red tape, green tape, blue tape, pink tape, yellow tape. We've got every tape under the sun coming out in this country at the moment. And uh, and so this goes. You want to put a housing development in, right? Because we've got a housing problem. Uh, this law will basically stop that as well, right? So it's just going. It's just it's getting out of hand. That um, uh, and this was all supposed to be because of BHP or Rio Tinto or one of those um, mining companies or Modern Fortescue even um, they destroyed a, an Aboriginal supposed Aboriginal site um, during some, um, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, mine expansion activities or something or reclamation work. Um, so basically this law was was launched. and But, you know, good old socialists and commies, um, they have taken it way too far. Um, the, the driving backbone of, of this... Uh, this country is mining and farming. That's it, right? And without mining and farming, we don't have the money to go and spend on everything. So all laws like this that make it harder to mine and farm and operate your land um, or or the land that you have um, just makes it harder and harder for Australia um, to to actually go anywhere as, as an economic um, entity, uh, you know. So it's the, the little things like this are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So really it just sounds like another knee-jerk reaction that Australia does because it's like the classic one, I know Warren says how Australia deals with its problems is that if there's a mole in your backyard, the solution in Australia's mind is to blow up the whole backyard. So is this just one of those um, other knee-jerk reactions to an issue they Face, a hundred percent, and and it's it's pandering. So, but it's it's so it's pandering to minority groups again, but it's also the 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 driving because WA is run by a Labor government. Labor is uh, is driven by the Fabian Society rules, which is basically communism and socialism. Everyone's equal. So if you have a look at everything that they do, it's all about um, bringing everyone to the lowest common denominator, making everyone dependent on the state. You can't do anything unless you have a permit from the state, right? And and that's that's ingrained in like, and especially these 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 um, modern labour um, politicians. Who have really, really taken to heart the Fabian rules and and the 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 the, um, the communist ideals uh, are, are just so hell bent on making sure that we destroy everything. And I had this conversation with um, with a couple of guys the other day, or a couple of women and a couple of good friends of mine, um, couple and um, and and were saying that. If you have a look at strong societies around the world and advancing societies around the world, the underlying premise of those of of those societies is a belief in faith. Doesn't matter what it is, 
some sort of belief in 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 a faith driven outcome, it's moral code and, and all that sort of stuff. Family values, right? So uh, an adherence to a traditional family value, right? And then on the other side is some form of prosperity. Okay. So, and then the, the biggest thing that you get, if you have a look, the countries that are building the new empire have that built into them, right? They have that, the, the faith, moral values, family, and a, a name on, on prosperity. Now, they all get there in different ways, but that's pretty much the underlying root cause. China, Russia, Turkey, India, um, Brazil, they've all got those underlying values. But in the West, we are destroying those underlying values because that then destroys society. If you take out the drive for prosperity, right, make yourself rich, you break down the family unit, transgender, the destruction of women, and the destruction of faith. Have a look at how media, if, if you're Christian aligned in this country or in most Western countries, they just tear you down. But isn't it funny, though, when all the politicians are running, they all run on we have family values, we have a faith-based thing, we go to church, and we believe in prosperity. So they know that those three things get them elected, but when they're elected, they do the complete opposite. And that's what all these laws are about, is the destruction, slowly pulling apart the society. Mm. That makes sense. And if people just looked at actions rather than words, they'd probably be able to see a lot more than what meets the eye or, or what they hear on the media. The other question I was going to ask on that topic was with the whole um, Indigenous law being passed around with farmers and landowners, is there anything or any solutions you can use to get around that or not really like in terms of the permits and making sure you're not affected by it? Not when it comes to land rights. Um it's it's really hard to get around a lot of that land right stuff. Um, uh, I would say the biggest killer of prosperity in this country is all the layers of environmental and land rights and NIMBYism that that we have. Um, it's a massive destruction on on our prosperity. And that's why we don't have big factories built here anymore because imagine trying to build a steel mill, you know, which is going to take up gigantic amounts of land, right, and water, um, you know, and needs massive amounts of energy, which is, you know, all the other the bits and pieces that, that go around um, all the, the bullshit policies. Um, you, could, you just can't do it. It's just it's an impossible. It's getting to the point where it's an impossibility. Unless you're willing to wait a long, long time. And a question too from Christine on this topic was, if the sites are not already identified, there's actually no one alive who can identify the site, so how can it even work? Yeah, that's that's the other problem. Um, and, and, and the thing is, if you put two Aboriginal tribes together over the one site, they'll give you three different answers. 
Um, so it, it, I, I don't know how any of it's going to work. Um, and this is the other problem. Intended to, it's not intended to do what it's proclaimed to do so that they, they haven't actually worked out that that part and don't care that that part won't work. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to the next topic now, which is the final point of the Australian economy, which is Labor's same job, same pay policy. It's been getting a lot of attention from what I've been hearing and seeing, especially from business owners and experienced workers. Um, recently, legislation have been forcing uh, employers and business owners to pay labour higher, the same rate as direct employees. So can you share to everyone why business owners and people with experience are not happy with this new law and what effects will it have on the on our workforce and our economy if labour continues to enforce it? Yeah, this, this, is, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible law. Um, and... It, it has to be stopped, um, and and you see the big big um, employer groups actually coming out now against it. The intent is that a person employed full time working alongside someone from a labour hire company who could be there for um, you know a three month contract is paid the same. Once again, this is union stuff. So this law is really about union membership. It's got nothing else to do. Um, union membership and, and union power on work sites. Um, one of the big thing I, big things I have noticed driving around the Gold Coast and, and southeast Queensland, and actually when I was in Sydney last, was the amount of um, construction sites that have the CFMEU flag flying in about fifty different places, um, and the, that hasn't been as bolden. In the um, in Queensland, especially, um, probably until the last uh, last fed last state election, and, and also more the last federal election, and they're really now flexing their their power. This is a a labour nod to the union movement because people employed by labour hire companies aren't unionists. Right, they, they they tend to not be unionists. Union power is uh, and and union membership is is on the massive slide. I think it's eight percent of all workforce uh, is covered by a, a union, and that's it. So eight percent. And the thing that, that that's really bad about that is is that labour is fifty percent governed by the unions, and unions represent eight percent of the workforce. So if you think about it. It's really only four percent of the workforce, because you're not going to get a union person who is basically centre right and and right. So it's only fifty percent of the population. So that's eight percent. Really, it's four percent of the population, four percent of the workforce. Blah blah blah. Um, so it's a very very small minority that controls a very very big chunk of the Labor Party. No decision in the Labor Party goes down without the union say so. Um, you saw that in WA, um, the, the the new WA Premier was put there by the unions uh, by telling, I can't think of her name, uh, the, the female basically stepped down and shut up, um, and which is so much for, um, you know, 
women and power and all that sort of stuff. The unions hate women more than than anyone. So um, it's it's really 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 bad um, bad juju uh, to have such a small minority controlling such a large part of a political force. Now, why why is this law bad? Um, outside of the context of labour hire versus direct. So now in in general, so you've got a small business now and you've got two people who are straight out of school who are doing the same same machinist job. Now let's pick, you know, CNC machining. You've got someone who's just out of their apprenticeship um, who are qualified tradesmen but doesn't have the 35 years experience of a guy that used to do it by hand and can just see what, what's wrong, you know. So you put, so you've got the machinist on, I'm just picking around numbers here, 50K a year, the guy that's straight out of, out of apprenticeship. But the guy that's been doing it for 35 years and knows the, the ins and outs of the machine and can just look at something and, and say it's not right or listen to something and say it's not right or um, can go, well, if you actually did this and this, it's going to get a better outcome. You've got him on 100 grand a year. As an employer, you've got to put both of those people on the same wage. You can't have a discrepancy. So what's going to happen? You're going to have, instead of having... The apprentice, the guy that's just out of his apprenticeship, looking up to a guy that's got 35 years' experience going, fuck, you know, I'm going to work to get to where he is. It's going to drive ambition and, and achievement and all that sort of stuff. All of a sudden now, what's going to happen is the guy with shitloads of experience is only going to get employed at 60 grand. And the guy out of, out of, um, uh, out of his apprenticeship is going to get 60 grand. Because what will happen is is the lower guy won't drift up to the higher wage. Doesn't happen that way. Never does. It always floats back to the lower end. So this is a wage busting law. So pretty much as employers, you're now going to be going, oh, what do I do? You know, the best thing for my business is actually actually to employ all those white-haired guys who have all the knowledge and experience and fuck anyone else with no experience, which is bad for the industry because what happens then is there's no mentorship, there's no passing of knowledge, there, there's no um, uh, incentive for people to work harder and longer hours, so pretty much everyone just bludges and does fucking nothing, so our productivity goes backwards. Um, it's really bad for industries that rely on knowledge transfer, trades, so-called backbone of the union movement, right? Uh, And funnily enough, the largest representation of union workers is actually public sector, teachers, fireys, AMBOs, um, public servants. They have more influence over the union movement than tradesmen and, and so forth. And you'll find most tradies and all that sort of stuff these days um, are, are self-employed contractors anyway, so they're not part of the union. Um, so for a small businessman means 
in, in one way, it means you're going to pay less, but you're not going to get the grey hair because the grey hair is going to go, why would I work for less when I can just retire? Right? So they'll take the pension, they'll take a quick, easy, cheap way out, so we're going to lose a massive amount of drain of knowledge out of the industry. And we're seeing that across all industries at the moment, and we just can't afford it. Right? And... And what it's going to do is keep wages low because even when you've got someone with no experience and they get two or three years of experience, the guys behind them coming through, well, you've got to put them on the same wage. So it's just going to put an artificial cap uh, on on wages. Uh, It's going to put an artificial cap on knowledge transfer. It's going to put an artificial cap on uh, on growth uh, and on achievement and, and on everything. But once again, if you put your socialist cap on and look at this through the lens of a Labor person, that's what they want. They sprout that they want wage growth and they sprout that they want all this sort of stuff. But have a look at their actions. Their actions say and do the 100% opposite. Um, Their actions say that they, sorry, Their words say that they want jobs here in Australia, but their actions say that jobs are going to go further and further overseas. That's why this seemingly simple legislation with a fancy name, same job, same pay, is disastrous for this country. If that that gets up, we will see factories, we will see industries pretty much wiped out. And, and I'm talking SMEs, middle enterprise will be wiped out, will be taken over by big enterprise who basically have the union shops and can afford, which means that all your prices are going to go up. So, but once again, that's what Labor want. Labor does not want a workforce that is not being run and pretty much the coalition's in the same boat as well at the moment. The moderates in the coalition pretty much are Labor. Um, so they want, um, through their actions, they want a dumbed-down workforce that is controlled by oligarchies um, at the top. So. Mm, yeah, yeah. It sounds horrible. So what was, what was the logic behind this decision? Uh, it, it, it was labour-driven. It, it, it was 100% a payback for the labour move. That's all it was. Yeah, once again, Australia being classic Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in some ways, this is why um, that, that Australia, Australia shoots itself in the foot every second chance it gets. Um, it doesn't matter who's in power, is because we we we're not we don't have a large enough economy for the size of the country, and we don't, and which means we don't have a large enough population base to sustain everything that we need to have happen in in, in this country. Um, I'm a believer of we should be probably doubling size minimum um, to actually make our economy get this hum. The reason that America will still be very successful 
and be a driving economic force in the world after the transition of empire away from it over to, you know, China, Russia, whatever, it's going to be the BRICS nations, um, is because of its 390 million people. Those numbers are just a snowballing internal, you know, things go round and you have great economies. Um, 25 million people or 26 or whatever we are, you're just scratching the surface. Pretty much you don't have enough to have any more than duopolies everywhere. And if you have a look at this country, that's what we've got. We've pretty much got in every major industry duopolies mm -hmm. everywhere. And, and that's because we, we don't have the large mass um, in, in economic power. So do you know if the same job, same pay policy, is it actually going ahead or is there, do you think there'll be enough pushback to, to stop it? At this stage, at this stage, from what I can gather, it's got the votes. Um, the, um, and what's actually, well, another thing that's happening in Parliament at the moment is that the, the government's housing fund Housing Future Fund, or whatever it's called, <laughs> um, is get is stalled, and I think they might have even pulled it. Um, I need to back. I haven't looked at what's happened in the last sitting week fully, but they, they they don't have the numbers to get it passed, so they can't afford to have another bill um, get blocked by the Senate. Um, because that will uh, get to the point where the government can strike a double dissolution election. You have two two bills defeated in the Senate, uh, or one bill, sorry, defeated twice in the Senate, um, and that gives you the trigger to have a double dissolution. Um, now, I think I mentioned this last week that that could be something that Labor would sit on because they won't want to, because we're going to have a, a convergence of big states having elections, WA, Queensland, WA, Queensland, New South Wales, I think it is, all having elections within like an eight-month period or even a 12-month period. And, and Labor won't want to be going to a federal election during that time, which is where they're going to get forced. So what they could be doing is putting up contentious legislation like this to create a double dissolution election, which means that not only does the, the House, but the Senate, both, both sides of the Senate, um, all come up for election at the one time. Now, that could, could yield Labor the extra votes that it needs then in the Senate because it will go after seats here in Queensland and WA um, on the back of uh, or on the back of or just before Queensland and WA have their state elections uh, where the state governments are a bit on the nose, a bit shaky, had leaders transition, um, and, and, and so on. So we're, we're in for some interesting political moves. Um, three, 3D 
chest-type movements are happening at the moment. Um, Albo has let slip at a couple of press conferences or a couple of speeches that he won't say no to going early. Um, and it could very well uh, be something that actually saves him rather than works against him. So, so yeah, watch this space. But um, uh, we're, we're going to be in for some interesting um, election cycle stuff coming up. It definitely sounds like it. Um, well, that pretty much wraps up the Australian economy. So, as usual, guys, if you do have any questions, just pop them in the Q&A box and we'll get to them um, on a break or at the at the end. But what we'll do now, we'll move on to the global economy. And as usual, we're beginning the global update with Trump Watch, our, one of our favourite series. It's a fan favourite, Stephen, I think. So can you share the latest news around Trump's campaign and how is his popularity trending at the moment compared to previous weeks we've been discussing it? Um, yeah, as I, I think I, it was last week, I said every time he gets indicted, his numbers go up. Um and it's and it's just it's proof again. He's fifty four percent of of GOP um, people are, are voting yeah yay for Donald Trump. Close second is DeSantis, and then at twenty percent, and then the next after that is I think it's Nikki Haley on about four um, percent. Uh, Mike Pence is coming in at two percent, uh, but the the Chris Christie is, looks like he's going to join the race. Who was Trump's advisor? in 2016, uh, and the field is really filling out in, in the GOP primaries. But if you have a look at the numbers, a lot of it, um, a lot of it I think is jostling for people getting ready for 2028. Um, that seems to be a, a stupid thing to say, but in American politics, you need at least six to eight years of name ID and, and and carrying your little tin around raising money uh, in your super PAC um, to actually have a really good um, run at becoming the nominee. At 54%, Trump is, is soaking up all the money, all the media time. He's soaking up all the, the, the votes that were... Um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? It's soaking up all the votes that were were wavering and a bit on the edge. Um, he's he's just soaking everything up. So Trump is good um, to to win uh, the GFP primaries at this stage. He's basically they're his to lose. Um, he'd probably I don't know have to fuck a goat on TV um, to lose, and then even then, you know, he'd definitely win Louisiana. So. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, uh, I, I can't see how it's not a Trump uh, nomination. Uh, on the Democrat side, they keep holding on to Biden. Um, he must, Biden or someone controlling Biden must have the photos with the goats because... Um, how else does does a party of a man that trips over an imaginary sandbag at a graduation stay in his position? You know, it, it's 
yeah, it is just unbelievable. Yeah, and someone who can't even pronounce his sentences as well, leading a, one of the yeah. most like popular countries. Yeah. Yes, no. So that, that's where we are with Trump Watch. Um, well, we'll move on to the next one. Um, I found that comment funny about like fucking a goat on camera because I guess that makes it clear that it's Trump's to lose from here. And we'll be very much guys um but we'll move on to the next one which we're now moving over to ireland where the irish government have recently announced a proposal to kill 200,000 cows so pretty much 65,000 cows a year for the next three years in efforts yep. to fight climate change and meet their climate targets as you'd expect though um it's getting slandered from multiple high profile figures one of them is elon musk so for being the wrong way of going about it and the wrong way of uh, finding a solution around climate change so my question for you Stephen, is do you think to killing two hundred thousand cows is the right way to fight climate change no but it's a great way to make sausages and and steaks so let's eat more meat um it, it's just ridiculous this is coming on from um, what the Dutch did. Um, it's also, I think Poland, Poland did it as well. Um, they tried to do it in Italy. They've been trying to do it in France. Uh, and the farmers have just absolutely um, kicked up a stink. Uh, in the Dutch elections, um, the, um, the Farmers Party, it's official now with the quote, with the count, with the count sorry, being confirmed that the Farmers' Party is the largest party in the Dutch Parliament um, and uh, it's the first time in 60-odd years or something that they've been up there. So watch the space that the same thing will happen in Ireland. Um, a, lot of, um, a lot of people that have um, half a brain know that this is just a stupid way of going about it. Right? Um, when you exempt private jets but you've got to get rid of a food source, you know that that, that it's just a fucking joke um, and that they're having a laugh. And, and, look, they are. They're all sitting around having a massive, massive laugh. At, you know, look at all these dumb people, you know. Um, and, and anyone at the moment sending their kids to, um, uh, to, to any government-derived school that is running a government curriculum you are just, um, I, I would say it's near on child abuse, uh, what, what, what parents are doing to kids. Because, and the problem is most, most parents don't know what their kids are being, being taught and those kids are going to grow, you know, grow up and become our politicians and lawyers and doctors, which is only going to make all this worse. Um, so... Ireland, being a very agrarian society and has been for a long, long time, um, will rise up against this. The farmers will rise up against this um, and, um, and will basically stamp it out. Um, but it may take a bit of time. And, and as Elon Musk says, this is totally the wrong way of going about it. Uh, Ian Plimmer, Plimmer, um, made a good point the other night, one of the speeches of his I watched, where he said, the earth is already net zero. With the amount of 
forest and algae and oceans that absorb everything, right, is um, is the, the planet is. And, and in all the calculations, they haven't taken all the trees that are on the planet and all the algae that's in the ocean and all the krill and all that sort of stuff that thrive on CO2. They haven't taken any of that into, into account in their models. And if you take a country like Australia or a country like Ireland that is very, very um, forested, I suppose, is the way to, to say it. Um, even Australia, even in our outback, we've got a lot of stuff that, you know, sucks up um, CO2 and, and a lot of our forests and all that sort of stuff suck up CO2. So what we've actually got is um, is net zero. So we don't have to worry about, you know, the livestock and all that sort of stuff. Okay, we did. We could probably change the way that we do do our farming practices and we could probably change some of the, the um, um, oh, what am I trying to, the feedlot type processes and that sort of stuff. Yeah, we could always change some of that. Um, and, yeah, we could probably get better quality meat if we did, you know, um, you know, feed on grass longer and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yes, there's probably things that we can do, but just going and saying, okay, let's cull 200,000 head of cattle over three years, um, let's reduce the number of farms, let's do all this sort of stuff. It's like, well, are we creating more problems because now we don't have jobs for these people? Mm. Uh, and what people forget is, okay, it might be a farm, but that farm may support a family, a couple of farm hands, but the it supports the local economy that fixes the tractors, that fixes the cars, that sells the diesel, that that you know supplies the bread and milk and supplies the newspapers and the doctor in the town and and all that sort of stuff. And and so you've got one farming enterprise that actually supports you know twenty other families. So you've got. 50 fam farming enterprises that that support 100 you know families in in the towns that are around that 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 actually create an economy so that's what you're actually really killing by getting rid of you know 200,000 cows is you're not solving climate change that's just a fucking stupid you know buzzword and 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 that, but what you're really doing is killing economies and making people dependent on government. Mm -hmm. And if you have a look at all the governments in Europe, all the labour-aligned governments around the world, all their legislation, when you boil it down, very simple. It's all about destroying economies. Yeah, that's it. Nice and simple. Yeah. Well, speaking of killing economies, um, the next point we had here was the transition to a green economy is a top priority at the moment over in Europe. Um, they're wanting to transition to a green economy to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and become climate neutral. However, pretty much what you were just saying there kind of relates to this point, because as you know, whenever you make a decision on one side, then it also presents issues and problems on the other side of things and um, has its own effects to the rest of the economy. So 
Can you share more into this green economy policy that Europe are transitioning into and what effects will it have on the people over there in Europe? Yeah, so the, the European Union has put out a consultative paper and draft, which then will lead to legislation on pretty much a, a credit scoring system. Um, and built into this credit system, uh, this carbon credit system that each individual has, is a trading mechanism. Um, so, so if you're a poor person, you'll be able to take your carbon credits and sell them in the open market where a rich person could buy them to allow them to keep flying around, you know, and having their luxury holidays and and using their private jets and their whatever, you know, running their factories and, and so forth. So this is on an individual basis. And the, the policy wonks at the European Parliament that released this, this paper and, and released this whole draft ecosystem actually think that they're super clever and, you know, they're patting themselves on the back. They're saying, look how, how progressive that this is going to be for society. Meanwhile, none of them, most of them are actually exempt um, inside the policy uh, from some of the stuff that I've, I've read was pretty much politicians and staffers of politicians and, and those, the political class are pretty much exempt from this, right? So all of a sudden you're really starting now to see that, oh, no, no, politicians, we're special people, you know. We're, we're fucking Teflon coated, right? So, and, and, you know, our shit doesn't stink, so it doesn't create CO2, right? So that's where we're starting to see now the political class. We're starting to see the, the, the rich class and then every fucking one else who is just going to be, you know, absolute you know, shit. And and that's, when you have a look at these systems, that's how they're designed. You've got the political ruling class, you've got the oligarchs um, and, the, and the, the rich at the top that are controlling all the, um, all, all the, the businesses because they support the political class and then you've got everyone else. So it's serfdom. It's back to medieval serfdom times. Um, and they... What this will entrench is the, the upper middle class and rich won't necessarily get richer. Um, that'll be the, the next layer up. Uh, but they will be able to maintain their lives. And most of these people will be the inner city latte sipping, tofu eating, you know, fucking rainbow flag flying morons. Um, that pretty much run our modern societies. Now, it um, it will create a set of people that will be out to make sure they don't lose their station in life. So they're the ones that think of COVID, the, the, the main people that dobbed on everyone for having a party or going outside during curfew and, you know, doing whatever uh, and dobbing on your neighbour, they're the ones. So they're going to be the starts. They're going to be the ones. Um, if you have a look at it, um, think 
think Nazi Germany, 1940, 1941, where you had a whole layer of Nazi Jews that were just dobbing on other Jews and killing other Jews. That's what this layer in between the rich and the, the powerful and the, the people at the bottom, that's what it's going to create. It's going to create this whole uh, series of people that will just turn against fellow men to make sure that they don't lose, uh, you know, wealth, status, academic power or whatever it is. Um, and if you have a look at those, and, and look, it happened in, in World War Two, World War One, the Boer War, uh, back Julius Caesar's day, happened in the Ottoman Empire, happened in the Greek Empire. The exact same thing happens, and it's all starting to play out now, that you end up with these basically people that turn on, on, on everyone else um, just to keep their, their status. So the poor get poorer and sink and sink and sink. This group in the middle don't get any richer, but they don't move anywhere anyway. And then the, the guys up the top that have everything will, will get everything. Now, this is just a policy paper, so it's, it's not out yet. But, but now uh, Warren and I, we had conversations around this before, and Warren come up and said, oh, look, they're not. He showed me a front-page news of an article and, and said, oh, look, they're not hiding it uh, anymore. I said, well, they've never, ever held it. It's just now they're comfortable putting it out in the open more for everyone to see, where before it was out in the open, but you did have to go and look for it, right? So it, so it, was, it, it wasn't as visible. But it, they've never, ever hit it. They've never, ever hid. This is the agenda. Never. Not since the 60s. They've never, ever hid the agenda. And, and people that, that think that they have and that this is new, um, fucking pull your head out of your ass because um, it's never, ever been hidden. What's happened is they've infiltrated the political and education machine, especially the education machine. They've infiltrated the education machine that changed the minds of so many people that this is now on autopilot. There is no one pulling the strings anymore. There is no, no one sitting in the shadows going, <laughs> it is now so ingrained in our society that strings no longer have to be pulled because there's enough useful idiots to make it work. And what we've got to do is we've got to, and, and, and I had this conversation with Warren, I've had this conversation with other people, is I don't think there's enough population mass in Australia to create the awakened pushback that we require because if you have a look at our society now, especially here in Australia, so many people rely, and it's over 60% of our population, rely on the government for their existence, whether it's their job, whether it's the government handouts, whatever it is. So most of those people are getting to the stage now where people are going to go, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. 
And that's just autopilot. You don't, you've, you've spent the last 50 years beating people, you know, with the woke brush, so to speak, and that they just naturally think that that's how it is. That's where we are. That's why we're going, we're seeing a lot more of um, these credit systems coming out now in the open from the EU. We're starting to see, let's kill 200,000 cattle. Um, let's do same job, same pay. That's why we're seeing more and more and more of this actually happen um, is because now that it's just on full autopilot. Um, is it different in the US? 100%. Um, the reason that, that the Democrats are letting so many people in across uh, the border uh, is so that they can try and stop the wave of change. But what's actually happening over there is that a lot of the immigrants are getting to the US now and going, fuck, I was better off in fucking Venezuela. You know, you know, this is more communist than that is. So they're now changing to fight against. And so the, the Democrats are going, fuck, we're going to let more in, right? And we, we're going to we're going to hasten up what's happening and we're going to get behind um, the likes of fucking Sleepy Joe and make sure that that orange man never wins. So we're going to throw more indictments at him and try and rid the system. One of the things that, that threw a big spanner in the works was Elon Musk buying Twitter. During the 2016 and 2020 election, Twitter had more influence on the political class and the fringe political class than any other social media platform. Full stop. Because Twitter was the platform of the woke, the political class, the media class. That's where they, that was their ecosystem. They're all now running around going, oh, fuck, what is our platform? Facebook, Google have all been outed, right, so they've got no power anymore. The rise of the third-party independent platform in the US, Rumble, um, what, was, what was the other one, Getter, um, what was the one that I signed up for the other day? Getter, um, -E, I think it's G-E-T-T-R. Um, all these platforms... Truth, Donald Trump's Truth platform, are all building enough critical mass um, that, to some extent, they will negate that influence that the the main things have. We don't have that here in Australia. We don't have independent platforms that are that are being created to stop the influence of a mainstream media. If you have a look at seven, nine, ten. ABC, you've got four stations, right, four stations sprouting absolute bullshit. I, the other day, I, I think it was Channel 9 I switched on. Um, no, it might have been ch Channel, whatever, whatever network Koshi's on, the fucking idiot that guy is, um, that um, I had to turn it off within about, fucking 30 seconds because everything that come out of the female host mouth was pure lun lunacy. So if you 
if you watch that on a daily basis, you're a fucking mushhead moron. Because everything that she said was either flat out wrong or just such unintelligently put together that that it was killing my brain cells. I, I, I have now got less brain cells from watching that 15 minutes of TV than, than if I stuck my mouth over a fucking exhaust pipe. I probably would have been better going and sucking on an exhaust pipe. Um, it, it, and people just soak this thing up a bit. Like today, I'm, I was coming back from, um, from a, a meeting, right, and this girl is walking across the road with a head buried in a phone and the lights have gone green. She had no fucking idea that the lights had changed. Now, if you're a sensible person, you should be allowed to run those fuckers over because, my God, if, if you can't cross a road without having to have your head in, a, in your fucking phone, you are a moron. Stop breathing my oxygen. It is as simple as that. It is as simple as that because you are not taking personal responsibility for your safety and the safety of others around you, which is a moral responsibility of anyone in society. That goes back to what we were saying before with a lot of this stuff is the absolute destruction of faith, morals, family values, and prosperity. Most modern people don't have it. And we need to reconstruct that. How we reconstruct that, I don't know. Not in a country like Australia. In a, in a place like the US, where you've got alternative education systems that are sprouting, the fastest growing education system in the US is homeschooling. The fastest growing education system in the US is homeschooling. There are more people now electing not to go to college in some parts of the country in the US than are electing to go to college or go to university. We're not seeing that out here. I'm still hearing parents say to kids, and I'm hearing it more and more, and I wish I wasn't, go to university, get a public servant job. Yep. I, I heard that um, in China when I first went there in the 90s. That's what you hear in communist countries. Go get a job with the government. That's not what you hear in a successful, prosperous, first world nation. Mm. It's always the classic, like, go to uni, get a degree. I mean, I've heard that a lot, and it's definitely not slowing down. Like, it's not getting any quieter. If anything, I'm probably hearing it more than I used to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Good. Basically, go to the great the great white greenwashing machine. Yeah, pretty much. And you've got a few people giving their vote to you, Stephen, so... Um, i got to say, oh, you have my vote as well, so let's see what we can do with that. Cool. 
But um, yeah, we all love that. All love uh, hearing your views on everything when you get fired up. Um, only thing you need next with you next time is a spoon, and then that'll add to exactly. the add to the, your speech and fired up. Rev everyone here up. So, um, the last thing we have here for today is you always like to give a fun fact and. We all know AI is the big topic and big talk of the town these days. And I noticed you have a fun fact you want to share around AI and smart contracts. Yeah. So um, I've been, um, oh, man, my, I, I've been smashing podcasts on AI, meta, smart contracts. Um, and, and those that have followed along, would know that I'm not a big fan of crypto, but I'm a, I'm a fan of smart contracts, NFTs. I was having a conversation with, with one of my um, business partners and she was saying, um, that AI is here to stay, right? And her kids are nine and 14. 9 and 15, um, uh, yeah, 9 and 15. Um, and we were having this conversation about AI. We were having this conversation about how do we um, um, make it useful in, in the business that we run, um, and we've come up with a whole number of things. I was then listening to something by Gary V. If anyone knows Gary Vaynerchuk, VaynerMedia um, was the wine. Um, what was it? Um, uh, is a great tech entrepreneur. Been, been at the leading front of tech for a while, and and then some stuff by Elon Musk on the subject. And what um, what hit me, and it. And, it's, and a couple of other people I've, I've noticed are starting to say the same thing, is we need to bury the, the, the smart contract transparency um, abilities of NFTs or, or distributed ledger technology and that of AI-generated content. The biggest problem AI has got in the wild west of, of what it is at the moment is trust. Um, and, and the more you're going to get into deep fakes, whether it's videos, um, whether it's music, whether it's whatever it is. Um, I saw a really good uh, Michael Jackson uh, speech, but it was all deep fake, 100% deep fake. Um, there's a Taylor Swift song going around that's been written that that she's never released, and 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 it's actually getting traction um, in in the alternate billboards, but she's never released it. It is 100 her. It looks like her in the music video. It it sounds like her everything, but it's 100 deep fake. We're seeing it with politicians. We're seeing it with everything. Now, if that was married with the transparency of an authenticated smart contract, 
you would be able to grab your phone, scan the, the smart contract that is assignable to that and go and see, oh, it was created by, you know, a, a funky bunch, you know, thing that this is not real. Or you could say, oh, shit, that was created by the original author. I'll buy that, right? So, bang, I can buy that straight away. So, one, it will allow AI to be commercialised and trusted and it will allow AI to grow in an environment that people trust it and we can, in, in, in theory... There's always going to be bad apples out there. There's always going to be people that, that use it against us, namely politicians. Um, but we'll be able to use it in a very intelligent way. Um, um, so I'm just trying to... Um, so... If, if we could somehow marry an AI generator with a smart contract generation platform, it would, I think it would revolutionise AI and absolutely revolutionise the way that it could be used in, um, in, in art, um, in, in politics, as in, you know, legislation and, and all this sort of stuff. You could have AI-generated uh, legislation and, and, um, and, and it be uh, basically you, you could get away without um, parliaments. you definitely get away without courts because you'd be able to have uh, common law is actually very well suited to uh, an AI-generated style settlement for mediation and stuff like that. There's always going to be stuff that you'd want a human uh, involved in, you know, murder and those sort of things. Um, the um, So, yeah, that's my interesting fact is, and, and, and it's more of a, a realisation on how we could actually allow AI to continue in its growth because it's moving. At, um, um, I saw a graph on it, and it's it's more than a hockey stick. It's nearly vertical um, in, in its growth uh, over the last uh, three years. It's it's basically just gone through through the roof faster than than any other technology. But that happens as as a society really transitions through technology. Um, you get technologies that are like so. If we think about it now, we if you think about the, the the development of the internet, it was pretty much the telephone, telegraph, um, fax machine, uh, uh, telex, and all that sort of stuff. Chat rooms, the 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 opening of the internet, the web, web two, web three. Um, AI is really Web 4, virgining on Web 5, um, because it's now transcending a part, of, it's transcending out of this, right, um, into everything. 
um, everything electrical. So we're actually starting to see um, um, even my generation probably couldn't even think that this is something that, that is happening. So. That's for sure. And I think if, if people don't understand machine learning, then definitely doing some kind of course, even if it's only a short one, is really important because I've been hearing a lot more about it. Um, AI is like what you were just saying about the graph. It's not surprising because it's just getting louder and louder. Like a lot of people are talking about it. And just understanding the basics of machine learning would definitely be recommended to everyone listening just because um, AI is the future. That's just the reality of things. And um, a lot of jobs will be replaced by it. So it's going to be scary if you're not prepared. But if you are prepared, then there's a lot of opportunities in it. AI is the first technology that threatens white-collar jobs more than it threatens blue-collar. Mm. Most other technologies that have been about robotization, um, uh, anything to do with um, logistics and transport and efficiency normally affect the blue-collar jobs. AI is targeted 100% of the white-collar job, 100%. Um, digital nomads, if, if you're a digital gonad and you're not implementing AI for customers, even if it's just customer service, um, you're, you're finished, you're toast, um, you, you, you're done for. Um, even really traditional advertising, you know, billboards, for instance, they're starting to use AI to generate placement of text and images to get the best eyesight and the best readability of that billboard. So th this is happening. It's happening now. Traditional newspapers are using it, are using AI for um, content layout best placement of advertising right. you know it's, it's really crazy all the capabilities and the uses it's been um people are using it for 100 yeah. yeah but that pretty much wraps things up so um if no one has any questions then i um, once again Stephen, thanks for your time it's been a great session as usual a lot of valuable information come out of that Always good to discuss these topics and see you fired up. Everyone enjoys that for sure. And um, great to have everyone here. Thanks for your participation. Um, it was nice seeing all the comments come through for the chat. Um, great to get some questions as well. So thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your night. And before we end, is there any final words from you, Stephen? No, I, I would really, really um, tell people to go out Instead of watching the Kardashians tonight or fucking maths or whatever brain-rotting TV you're going to watch, um, go, and, go and watch a um, or listen to a podcast around AI, um, NFTs and smart contracts because that is going to be the future of a lot of things that we have to deal with, especially if it's to do with asset protection, if it's to do with citizenships and residencies and all that sort of stuff, um, go and do it. Uh, if and, and the ones that I'm following at the moment is there's guys that have cut a lot of Elon Musk stuff on on AI up. That's really good. Gary V 
the stuff. Um, there's a couple of um, Indian Ramit, Ramit Sharma, I think his name, who is a quantum uh, computing expert. A bit boring to listen to, but what he says is just phenomenal. And that's something that we didn't bring up is quantum computing. That once quantum computing actually starts really, really being used, and they're using it in defence now and, and some supercomputers are starting to use the basics of, um, of, 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 um, of quantum computing, um, we are, um, yeah, it, it's just going to explode again. Wait, so what were the names you recommended? There was Gary V, um, the other guy. Gary, v, or Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks about it, and he launched his own NFT um, about three or four years ago. Um, I think the guy's name is Ramit Sharmi, Sharma. Um, he's an Indian AI expert. Um, and uh, if you just got onto the internet and go uh, AI podcasts, there's a heap of them there and pretty much all of them uh, for beginners will give you um, the information. Just go onto YouTube and go AI, uh, AI podcasts. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much anyone with an Indian name that's a doctor or PhD can't go past them. Mm. Yeah. This is one time I guess we can say trust the experts and actually trust them. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's it. Um, thanks for you for your time, Stephen, and thanks to everyone for showing up and staying till the end. Um, go check out those podcasts, Stephen mentioned that there'll definitely be some good value in there, no doubt. And we'll see you guys again at the normal time next week. Definitely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.